Welcome to Dominating Your Investments, a podcast where you'll learn about stocks, personal finance, and creating generational wealth. I'm your host, Dom Rinaldi. In this week's episode of Dominating Your Investments, I have the privilege of being interviewed by Jackson at Palantir Vision. And we talk about Palantir coming up on their Q3 earnings here later in November. And we take questions from those in Twitter, as well as from the live stream uh, for about an hour. And we talk about the future of Palantir, the bear case, the bull case, and really how this could all play out and, and why it's had so much fandom uh, and what makes it such a great company that we are both heavily invested in. So I hope you enjoy this and please leave comments below. I'm always trying to get better at providing the content for you for this podcast and what you guys want to hear about. Welcome to those of you uh, joining us and thank you for doing so on a Saturday night. Uh, Dominic and I were trying to trying to figure out a time that this would work. And uh, yeah, I just want to welcome Dominic to the channel. Of course, many of you will be familiar with his work on Twitter and um, and in the other areas as well. But yeah, thank you so much, Dominic, for joining. I'm very excited to ha have a conversation with you on Palantir. No problem. I can, I can always talk Palantir. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that. Yes, I'd love to hear your perspective. We haven't talked yet, but we've conversed on Twitter. So yeah, could you just uh, go ahead and give a little bit of an intro on you investing yeah. and how you got introduced to Palantir? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I represent the population of investors of young dads out there new to investing. Um, I have two beautiful children that are uh, under the ages of six, married. Uh, I work in cybersecurity sales uh, and software as a service and have worked in technology sales for like 20 years, um, but really haven't started individual investing until about two years ago, coming up on three, February 2019. Um, and so uh, very heavily invested in SaaS stocks and technology. Obviously, that's kind of my wheelhouse and expertise um, where I feel comfortable um, and got introduced to Palantir through your channel, Twitter and, and several other means um, about, I would say I bought my first like individual share in April of, of this year, but really uh, started building a position about three months ago. And that's when I started really doing my own due diligence and um, wishing I had not listened to the media or uh, just did my DD a little sooner when they went uh, DPO. Uh, so I've been trying to get my Palantir position to my number one position overall. Uh, I hold about 70 stocks, but 20 of them make up about 90% of the, the earnings, right? Your winners will win uh, for any of those who follow Motley Fool. Um, but my goal is by the end of the year to have Palantir as my number one position. Awesome. So let's kind of transition into, of course, there are many reasons, um, why you personally, your perspective on why you want that to be the case. Why are you trying to heavily weight over time? It sounds like dollar cost averaging as is often the technique that many retail and individual investors are using. So could you explain kind of your initial stance on Palantir, if it's changed at all over time, and where you stand today with PLTR? Sure, sure, most definitely. Um, I believe the first thing to look at on why I want this to be my number one stock is because it checks all my boxes when I look at a generational wealth providing company that I could leave in 
for my kids when they're older and still feel confident there's going to be a lot of returns, right? Uh, we know we have, I think, four, soon to be five trillion market, uh, trillion dollar market cap stocks now with Microsoft, uh, with um, Google, Amazon, et cetera. And I think Palantir will be one of those companies uh, given the time to run, right? Uh, a lot of people trade this stock. Uh, they get excited when it goes up $2, it goes down $4. Uh, but that's not what I'm paying attention to. Like I'm a long-term investor, which really when you're an investor, normally you're always saying you're a long-term investor, right? Um, and so for me, I want to hold all my positions at least five to 10 years. For this, I want to hold way longer than 10 years. Uh, and why that is, is because the product stands on its own. And I think really had the aha moment when I read Peter Thiel's book, um, uh, Zero to One. And you can see his fingerprints all over this company, right? Obviously co-founder and, and everything else. But you can just see as going through the book of his, his thought process on the company and their approach and this flywheel that they're building, um, this product is 10x better than other things out there. And I can tell you, I've worked for several software companies, and it's very rare that you can come against your competitors and say, we're 10x better. We're five years ahead of you, and, and we know it, and we're going to expand on that. Um, and I think that is what has me somewhat having so much confidence in this company, not only the leadership, that's the first thing I look at when I look at a company is leadership. That was what excited me the most, but you have to have a product and a platform, especially in the SaaS world that you can build upon. And then it's so good. People aren't going to walk away that they expand their renewals. They expand their contracts. And then the key is though, to really make it last long in an ecosystem is you start building out other legs of revenue, right? Other pieces that connect to the platform. We started with Gotham. Then we had Apollo and Foundry. Now all of a sudden we have Foundry for Builders. We have Unlocked. They have Metropolis. Um, they talk about three new products that we don't know what the product names are yet. Um, so with that, uh, it's really exciting. And I think that they understand that they put all the time and work into the product first and now they're going to reap the rewards on those margins later as time goes on so, so where do you see this company today would you consider them still a startup in a sense like how do you think of their financials in the context of a broader market where you have big tech that's so established and some are like apple are paying dividends at this point where do you like, what's your viewpoint on Palantir, financially speaking? Sure, sure. So I think financially speaking, they're very stable right now, right? They have 2.3, roughly 2.3 to 2.6 billion of cash on the books. Um, no debt. They paid their debt off early. Uh, I know the big elephant in the room everyone wants to talk about. I saw it on Twitter when you when you asked, what do you want us to talk about? Stock-based compensation, <laughs> SBC, let's talk about it. And we'll get there. We can talk about that. I have no problem. Uh, I definitely don't want to side skirt that that um, topic. But the product itself, when you look at how they compare to a Google, a Microsoft, a Amazon, or whoever you want to say, and they all have multiple legs of optionality and, and, and products, and they've built those revenues, right? And so 
Palantir is just in their beginnings of this, right? I know it's a, a 17, almost 18 year, year old company, but the reality is Foundry and, and Apollo are five years old, right? Five years old in a commercial segment that grew last quarter 90% year over year. That's pretty good, right? And their average contract uh, average contract value for their top 10 customers or top 20 customers, I'm sorry, went from 36 million to 39 million, right? So we're seeing growth from our best customers keep expanding. We're adding new customers in an emerging market, which is their commercial market, but they're also gaining these large government contracts as we've seen in the past two months, right? So they're hitting all the boxes and, and all the cylinders. Um, but when you look at what their product does, that's what excites me is that we've never seen a product like this that could literally be the core operating system of every enterprise, right? And they show their product in action on YouTube. You see it in action, whereas a lot of other products and competitors out there will say, we have a good product and this and that. Big Bear AI is coming public. Uh, I know some of my friends are fans of that one. Uh, SaaS Institute's been around for a long time. But no one shows why their product is 10x better and how it's the core operating system and operating model that can be plugged in anywhere. Right. And so that they've already shown this now with getting customers like John Deere, uh, they BP, which is a very legacy company from a technology perspective. Right. And you're seeing them deliver the results and then their earning results are, are also going up and, and being better. That is what excites me is that they are making their customers better. And if their customers succeed, they succeed. And that's a winning model, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. And I think just to bring that even further, the network effects of this next stage of not necessarily growth, because I don't think it's what they're relying on, but these day zero companies, SPAC investments, Foundry for Builders, really is a next leg up where it's the strategic leveraged association for the SPACs at least, where it's we're investing in you because we want you to use our products. Well, that's not, I've, I've heard that as a bear case, but, but anyway, tying Foundry to the company means that they're going to have a very tight feedback loop to see what works, what doesn't, how to improve the product, and that I think has a very drastic effect on product development, and I think probably bug testing, obviously, all of that stuff. And I can't think of a better way to network the the platform really so what do you what do you think about these kind of recent developments foundry for builders we had no idea about until whenever that was announced a few months a couple months back or whatever it was uh maybe it was longer than that but um yeah what do you think about these new areas it's not necessarily punching through to a completely new industry but expanding their capabilities currently down down market a little bit but not completely so what do you have to say about that So, so there's there's two points there that I want to make that you, you hit on. The first piece is that uh, they are making these companies accelerate their production, profitability, and go-to-market faster than they could without Palantir Foundry, right? And so when you think about that, and you think about the use case and the ref customer referencing and the testimony of 
our product quantifiably helped this company go public and is now their core operating system. I always go back to that Skywise example. You know, Boeing had to jump on board. Everyone had to jump on board because it was so good at what Airbus was. Even though as a competitor, they, they worked with Palantir to, to build Skywise. Now everybody uses it. You're not in the cool kids table if you're not using Skywise, right? Uh, and I can see them doing that in other industries and it forces others to jump on board because you don't want to be left behind. Uh, I think that there's customers we don't know of um, that we would not necessarily be shocked, but they don't want to be known that uh, they're using Palantir because they don't want their competitors to then sit there and build a relationship. Yeah, but isn't that a bit of a dilemma as an investor? Obviously, Palantir knows these names. They're working with these brands, um, so they have the knowledge of that. But as an investor, we're trying to gauge how successful is the product, how well, how like successfully are they able to get through and market this to the big-name companies, some of the best in the world. And we are a little bit in the dark on that, so how do you kind of parse that as, um, as an investor? So I look at the results, right? I don't need to know such and such corporation signed a five or, or they're using the product. But if I see they signed a $500 million contract and the commercial growth is still growing at above 50% year over year clips, I know good things are happening in the commercial segment, right? And eventually those use cases will come out. And what we're seeing is my second point around your question around Foundry for Builders is they're investing in disruptors. And this is so Peter Thiel. Uh, when, you, when you look at all the tech uh, companies he's backed have been first movers, competitive advantages. And, and of course, he has his Thiel Fellowship and, and, and his founders um, group. He, you can see his fingerprints on it that we're looking at quantum computing. He's involved there right? Palantir's helping Rigetti. Uh, we're looking at personalized medicine. We know healthcare is broken, right? We can all agree, you know, yes, the American uh, program is better than most in the world, but it's still broken holistically and can improve. And Babylon Health is one example of that, right? Holistic, personalized, digital health, they're with them. You look at uh, energy, you look at um, all these different forward-thinking companies like Embark. I mean, we just did an interview with Embark Trucking with the CEO for Pounding the Table. And the guy is 25 years old, CEO. He's part of the Teal Fellowship. And I was just glued to listen to what he was saying. Um, and he was like, I, I would invest in several of the people in that fellowship, you know, because of the way the program makes people think and innovate. And so, you can see all of these different things. We see genomics that, that, that Palantir is involved in. You see robotics with Sarcos. Now, is every uh, SPAC going to work out and, and be a big success? No. It only takes a couple. It only takes a couple. And all of a sudden, now you have additional revenue that you're going to keep getting from bigger contracts because they're successful. But more importantly, it's going to show that you can be a core operating system to an enterprise that they build their company off of. And that's what attracts me to the company. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. And just to further emphasize your point about all these 
the involvement in all of these different industries, we saw ARK Invest not only add Palantir to their innovation fund, but to all of their ETFs. Now, ARK Invest clearly loves Palantir, and that's like putting that aside to put this company, this stock, in every single ETF for different, completely different themes um, really says something about what they know about the business, what they know about its impact on across all of those lanes, right? Genomics, you were saying. Mm-hmm. There's the internet. I think that's the first one they were in, ArcW. Yep. They're in Arc the space, Space, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, we had the, uh, what was that announcement? The Medica- uh, Constellation, right? The I mean, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, Meta, Meta Constellation uh, with the satellites and then Black Sky. And so, yeah. you know, you look at how they're also piecing things together, very similar to the Tesla model. There's, there's starting to be more and more similar similarities we're seeing. Um, what, you know, there's so much unimaginable about this company that I love that in analysts, uh, they, they just want to think about Foundry, Apollo uh, and Gotham. And they just think about, okay, 30% growth. They're saying they're going to grow for five years. That's what we're going to give target rates to. And that's it. And so it's like, this is the time for me. I'm like, I'm trying to load the boat here because you want to, if you're holding for decades, you have to have an imagination. When we look back at NVIDIA, did we think this graphics card company 28 years ago would be the leading compute as a platform company that's modernizing data centers, artificial intelligence, natural language processing, mobile gaming? No, it was a graphics card company but it had a great leadership team, a great founder and a vision and they executed. And so I think back and look at what they're doing and as lo- my bear case for this company is if Peter and Alex and the comp- and the leadership team say we've we've accomplished what we set out to accomplish, we're we're going to hang it up. Right? Um because I think what they've created is a culture there that breeds talent that had people stay for 17 years before they got any shares uh, before going public. That's, that's a very tough feat to do. Um, and I think they know, they already know what lies, you know, the next 10, 15 years, what their vision is. We have to watch it unfold patiently, but they know what's coming next. Right. So it sounds like your bet really is on the future, right? It's, yeah. you made it very clear. Yeah. This is a long-term play. Multi-decade play, it sounds yep. like, right? Yep. I'm not. I'm not worried about, um, you know, maybe they don't hit 400 million this quarter. Uh-huh. I think they will. Yeah. Um, based on it being Q3, that's the government contract season. You saw all the different contracts they already had to announce. Someone commented earlier that uh, they do typically like to name drop their commercial customers that they're allowed to name drop come earnings. So we'll learn more there come Q3 earnings. Um, but I'm not heartbroken if, if, if not. Right. And someone asked on Twitter, well, what if they miss earnings? If they miss earnings, it's going to, it's definitely going to affect the stock, right? This is a volatile stock. Uh, but does that break my thesis? No, not, not, not in the little, little bit. Yeah. So it would be very interesting if they miss because especially considering how conservative their guidance is, I've talked about it. It's they're guiding for 2% quarter over quarter growth. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that would be I watched something. your graph comparison. They've never done that small a growth. Yeah, it, it, like, it doesn't make sense. It's yeah. like, whatever. 
But so that brings up an interesting point then. And if I've had this asked of me before, what would break your Palantir thesis? Of course, we're not loyal to this company until it goes to zero, no, right? No, it's no. This is an investment. This is to make money. This is yeah. to be on the long run for Palantir as they do good for the world, right? Um, in that sense. So what would make you sell your shares? Oh, I think one is if the leadership team walked away. I mean, they need Alex and Peter there. They need that core group. Now, Peter's been in the background in the shadows. We haven't heard a lot about... You know, I know he tries to stay out of the limelight with all the political drama that happened back in 2016. But you can tell his advisement and what's going on in that group, that core group that started the company are all still very involved in what, what goes on there. Um, so I think that would be one way my thesis would be broken, right? Um, someone said, uh, what if they sold out? And I was like, I would be shocked. I would be very shocked because they have all the class F shares. The whole point of the share structure is that they get to call the shots and and, uh, you know, lead the company as they see fit. So I really only see that as being my only, you know, bare case unless performance just consistently sucks. If it does, then obviously, you know, you can't marry a company uh, if the thesis is broken. But I, I just don't see it. Right. And the reason I say that is because you look at all the companies they've had renewals with right? And expanded revenues, not just the renewal, but expanded. That's the definition of, of a great SaaS company. And then you look at how what used to take weeks to deploy now takes hours. I'm sorry if you hear any kids screaming in the background. It's, it's bedtime. Um, so when you talk about improving your business operationally so quickly, um, this was just six months ago where people were ragging on them on how long it took to, to do deployments uh, with Apollo now being this auto continuous update solution that that communicates with everything at the edge. Then all of a sudden you throw satellites and what they're starting to do with these other companies and, and you start piecing it together and you have the EVs and 25, I'm sorry, 50 uh, percent of the world's data will be at the edge by 2025. You see they're already putting things in place and in motion, and they're getting ahead of, of where everyone will be. They will already have a, a, a pretty good uh, piece of the market. Yeah, awesome. So one last thing I wanted to ask you, and I'm sure we're going to have many more discussion points going forward, but before getting to the Q&A, I wanted to ask you, and I, have, I don't think I've asked anyone this before, but how do you see Palantir over the long run playing out? Do you think it's more of a gradual stock increase over over time or do you think eventually bull case here a breakout in the stock which way do you think it would be does it matter does it not obviously i think the end goal is what matters right but i'm interested in what you because this is right now a b2b company i'm wondering if we could see like a large breakout given the valuation today right or if this is going to be we need to prove the business quarter after quarter beat estimates and earnings as they have, right? Um, so like, how do you see that playing out? I would like to say, I would like to see it go fast. Um, and I would like to see a fast breakout. That would be ideal. But I really see this playing out very similar to Tesla. Tesla traded sideways for five years. Um, a lot of people got out. A lot of people... You know, we're not believers. Uh, 
and they just kept on with the mission, kept on growing the factories, growing the amount of deliveries, growing the technology. Uh, and then they had their breakout, right? So I could easily see that happening where there is no bare thesis anymore, right? Like you have so many commercial customers. It's like, okay, I can't rag on them that they're not growing commercial customers. Can't rag on them on government. Cause we know also too, there's a lot of unspent government money that will unlock in the next few years. Um, and they already have a majority of contracts there. So I can't rag on them there. Uh, the only other places they don't have a B2C offering. Um, but I don't think they even need a B2C to be successful. I think they could be fine with just focusing on getting their product in a downtrend from enterprise down to mid market. Um, but I do think they will have a B2C. I, I definitely, I heard, I heard someone, uh, it may have been you. I, I don't know. Someone comment on this great idea and I deal with it. Every, every enterprise worker deals with this uh, in email uh, of having a product that could actually distinguish who sent the email, where it should go after you archive it, throw it in, put an action item and intuitively know when you should follow up, right? Like something that organizes with AI to make you a more efficient employee. You could see something like that, them creating, right? You could I, ideally see something like that. Um, but I don't think that's necessary for them to be a trillion dollar market cap. I really don't because there's so many mid-market companies for them to go after. We all know that the SMB uh, eventually becomes the enterprise, right? So I think they're already thinking in the future with Foundry for Builders and they're already beating everyone to the punch. Um, so I, I, I definitely think that, you know, okay, so we're at $24 a share, you know, maybe we get to 40 in two years or better, right? But all that you need to check on is the thesis. Is your thesis intact? Are they growing customers at the same rate or higher? Is the technology getting better? Are they keeping employees? And is Alex as enthusiastic as he was, you know, two years ago? And if that's in place, I'm okay because I'm in it for the long haul. I know I'm not touching that money until many, many, many years down the road because I know that it's going to take a long time for adoption. It's kind of like intuitive surgical. Right. Intuitive surgical is a great stock. Uh, and it's been a multi thousand thousand percent uh, provider since going public. It's uh, they created the Da Vinci robots for uh, robotic surgery. And everyone said, you can't do that. You can't robots doing surgery or assisted surgery is, is not feasible. And they proved it out. Right. And then they got a picks and shovel play with all the different parts and accessories that you would use to have to sterilize and replace. So it's constant cash flow. It's constant operational margins. Now they're looking at verifying new surgeries with their products and new robots. And so you can see, once again, beat raise, beat raise, beat raise, more cash flow, more cash flow. Oh, I see this little startup here. We're going to go buy them before they become a competitor, right? And so... You can see with how they're generating cash flow from 150 million to now saying 300 million for the year um, and the cash and no debt. I mean, I like where their odds are at. And the fact that my favorite part about this company is institutional money is not even really in there yet. It's at like 26% or 23%. And so they're so bearish and they don't understand the company because they don't do the homework. I always think it's so funny how people say, 
it's such a black box. We don't know what they do. I was like, have you went to their foundry website? Have you went to all the interviews they have on their website, the use cases? Like you could do many episodes on just their website alone of all the things they're capable of. And you have. Yeah. Yeah. All great points. Um, it, very interesting. You think trillion dollar company bull case. Long right? term. I'm not putting a time frame on there. Yeah. Yeah. Without a consumer product. I don't know if yeah. I've heard, I've heard that before. That's, there, I mean, look at how many SMBs that exist in just the U S alone. Then you throw in Europe, you throw in Japan where they're at. Um, yeah. I think there's plenty of room to go. I mean, what they're doing is building the the core, like what Windows was to the first ever computer user is what they are to the enterprise. And I think they'll showcase that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you've done an excellent job laying out the bull case. We do have the first Super Chat ever of the channel. So thank you, David. He wants us to discuss Lilium and their kind of impact or yeah, obviously, sure. Lilium's partnership with Palantir. So what did you think initially when you heard that? And has your opinion changed at all now that you know um, all these SPACs that have come after? Because Lilium was the first time we'd, we'd known of this sort of SPAC investment sort of deal. So what do you think about Lilium? Any yeah. questions um, now so, that they, they actually are public, right? Uh, I believe. Evitol transportation is going to happen. It's bound to happen, and eventually, it's not a standard today, right? And not everyone just does that for their transportation. Um, but there's so many different use cases you can think about taking a seven-seat jet to go somewhere in a much uh, faster time to get to where you need to go and get out like a taxi and move on, Right. Also, you think about small shipments that have to go to certain places. And you think about the efficiencies uh, with this. This is just another use case of if they can do it with Evitols, can't they do it with EVs? Can't they do it with manufacturing robotics in the factory? So you, you see how all of these different things, I like that they're so diversified in their SPAC holding because what it allows them to do is say, we proved it out. Like, look at this, this Evidol company using our software and being more efficient than its competitors. And now it's successful because it has a competitive edge. Um, so that's what excites me. Uh, you know, I wouldn't put money into Lilium or any others. I know David said it's going to make them a lot of money. It, it definitely could. Um, I'd rather play the safer play, which is betting on the founder that's making all this happen and, and the software that's doing it. Um, just because there's going to be so many more investments that I think they make over the next you know, couple of years. Yeah, certainly. So I do want to kind of transition over to uh, Twitter questions, which we will um, just answer those first. Then we can back, come back over to YouTube. Uh, Jake, you was just oh, popping in to agree with you here on the $1 trillion without B2C, which I guess that's just not something I've, uh, I've heard before. I always... At least in my case, I was like, oh, let's let's get a, a leg up to perhaps half a trillion with the business as it stands today, scaled up very much so. And then maybe a next generation of the company with with uh, new products that they aren't even working on right now. But we will uh, we will see about that. And then we have uh, Chris Patel, another friend of the channel, 
yeah. um, with the second super chat. Um, yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Play a uh, round of 18 there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's um, let me just open up screen share the screen on the Twitter so we can get these going. Chrome tab and yeah, yeah there's quite so, a few. I wrote some of them down. They were they were really good. Great. So tell me which ones you want to tackle because I like the so one about the comment on patents. We'll get to that. Sorry, I didn't mean to select. Oh, that. you're fine. Um, I, I really liked the comment. Someone said, uh, you know, don't put all your eggs on patents uh because IBM had 10,000 right like look look at look yeah. at that right? that doesn't mean much and so i didn't obviously have time to respond to it but my response to that would be um duly noted that makes sense but there's a second part of that there it is right there from from chris h yeah um it's execution right patents and execution and r&d spend with vision equals building a moat right and so uh, you look at companies that have done a great job of this. You look at Google, you look at Apple, um, you know, there's many others out there. And what we're seeing is their R&D spend keeps growing exponentially. I would be concerned if their R&D spend stopped growing, right? Yeah. I want them to spend as much as they can on R&D. Um, we can go into this whenever you want to go to the SBC um, I'm okay with the SBC and the fact that it's what's protecting getting the talent to stay here, right? And yeah. I want people, if I'm investing in a company, I want my leaders there invested in it. I want my employees invested in it. Uh -huh. And for anyone who says selling shares for Alex Carp or any of the other executives, A, they were there for 17 years and helped build the company. So I think they've earned the right to sell some shares. Yes. But see, they had to for tax implications, uh -huh. right? Or they lose that. And so for me, it's like if you were that CEO, you know you would sell those shares. You'd be stupid if you didn't do that, right? Yeah. You wouldn't just let the money expire. So um, that's not an indication of his level of commitment to the company, his vision, and what he is passionate about, right? No. So obviously it dilutes us. But at the end of the day, I think as the margins keep going higher and higher, we'll see less dilution. Um, in fact, what we're looking at that was diluted from the executives were all from the initial shares when they started, right? Uh, these shares were like, I think, 2007 or nine, some way back when. Now they had to execute on them. So uh, there's shares that they still have that then they'll have to get rid of come 2026. And we'll go through some similar things like this now, but their revenue will be so much higher and their margin will be so much higher. So I'm not too worried. If you're trying to make a buck now for in this year, this is not the stock for you. This is yeah. a stock to hold for 10 plus years. Yeah. And I brought this up with Jake, but I really think now that Elon is, is um, it'll be at the end of this year, early next year, um, is dealing with the same thing um, on a much larger scale, which I think will give, of course, tons of media attention. But Tesla's compensation package for Elon, um, I believe he has a $10 billion tax bill to deal with, um, and $3 billion of that is going to California. So obviously, I think he even said himself he will be selling shares because that's 
generally the only thing you can do. I don't know that, I mean, even he has said, and this is, this is the argument because I do follow Tesla obviously a lot, mm-hmm. um, that he has said his money will be the first in and last out. Now, he has sold before to pay taxes. So I don't understand why people can't understand when Carver, the other management, does it. And, of course, I think we're going to get the biggest example of that ever when Elon has to has to sell a good amount of stock. We'll see if he does some margin borrowing or, or whatever, but um, he is going to be selling, and that's no different than uh, our folks here at Palantir. So I just... I think that's something people need to be able to understand. <laughs> I would agree completely. And there's one other thing I'd add to that comment from Twitter is that um, look at the products that Palantir is building. They're executing. So it means a heck of a lot more when they have a patent than IBM. Yeah. Right. Their patents are protecting their future growth products that they're already have a 10 X, you know, superior to any other product out there and, and, he said at least five year lead time against any competitor. So that means a lot more to me than um, just counting the number of patents, but that it's them having a patent. Yeah, yeah, great. All right, I liked your thinking there. Let's see what else. Any other ones you wanted to hit on, or should we just. Sure. Yeah, we could talk about back. someone did uh, the NATO $1 billion AI transformation. Could it benefit Palantir? Most sure. definitely. Um, was really excited about that when they announced, there it is, how NATO 1 billion AI transformation could benefit Palantir. Um, Who else is the U.S. going to recommend? They make the recommendations to NATO. Uh, And we heard Felix talk about this on his channel. We've heard Tom, yourself. Um, They've already gotten all the military and the three-letter branches, uh, you know, CIA and and everything else from customer base, why wouldn't Palantir be one of the leaders who get a majority of whatever AI transformation contract they get? Um, And they've shown to be able to regulate security from policy of access and who has access to what data when you talk about different organizations in the military working together uh, or different countries, only Palantir can provide that. Uh, there's another one, governance, data distribution, and how data will be used uh, yeah. in a decentralized model. Um, yeah, so I can comment or you can comment. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, sure. So I guess... I mean, that's very interesting because we heard Kathy Wood actually say in one of her interviews, this was a while back, how Palantir and what they do really, it's decentralizing the data. They're not, I mean, just to touch on the privacy very quickly, Mm -hmm. they're not looking at the data, they're just processing it, running it through their systems and yielding the solutions or whatever data modeling or whatever it is. But... It's very interesting when you think about it because since they're not centralizing the data, it's decentralized. How, mu- how much do we hear about decentralized ideas nowadays? Bitcoin, crypto, like it really is crazy and I really do think it is the future. We see all these problems with these social media companies and someone I saw <laughs> mentioned uh, DWAC earlier in the, uh, in the chat here um, just 
just uh, as a random stock that blew up. But um, I think decentralized technology, just as a as an idea, really is huge. And if Palantir can kind of market themselves as that, I think, and of course stay true to it, really is a huge oh, yeah. uh, benefit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and from a security standpoint and a brand standpoint, uh, I think that they can get a lot more customers just on that facet alone, right? That people want to be part of that group that yeah. don't manage and, and take all your data. Uh, in fact, they're invested in a SPAC uh, with my prism who their, their monetary business is based off of letting me as the user get paid to give my data up. So companies can actually be more proficient, uh, which I'm all in favor for. Cause I normally am the person who says, you know what? I don't care. I don't have anything to hide. I'd rather have ads that are actually what I care about than not. But honestly, I'd rather get paid for my data because it is, you know, basically free marketing for you. Yes. Yes. That's a, it's interesting. Oh, that's a great um, question. I didn't see uh, earlier posted. How can foundry be used to solve the supply chain crisis? Yeah. Um, I already believe that it's involved in in several places. I I, w- I would have to imagine with, yeah. with how many customers they have uh, named and unnamed uh, of large enterprise, and they they tout about their supply capabilities and how they're able to um, distinguish what needs to come when and make the whole process faster and more efficient. Um, we won't get into why our supply chain is a mess because it's more political than it is functional. Um, but I believe Palantir definitely could help. So that's a great point. And I think they will be involved in way more supply chain uh, events for multiple companies, commercial and government. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then if we just keep going here, competitors... I've talked about this, I think, too much. My opinion is there are none. There are companies, of course, that do subsets of what Palantir does, just none that have a holistic product such as Palantir. Um, so what do you, like, when someone asks you about competitors to Palantir, what do you respond with? There's no one focused enough to actually call themselves a competitor. Hmm. The closest thing would be Google. And even if Google bought three uh, C3AI, uh, they could buy... Uh, I think actually uh, Broadcom bought SAS Institute, but regardless of, of who, you know, uh, UI path, whatever you want to say, the reality is they are a small company that grew big, uh, still fairly small, right? 2,700 employees compared to like, you know, Google has double digits in the thousands, right? Yeah. Um, but they still have that same startup mentality and culture and drive and mission. And that's what you can't replicate. You already have the product and you have the vision and the execution. You're going to have all these different people in Google or whatever large company. And it's just a part of their facet of their business. It is not the main focus of what they're there to achieve. And so for that reason, I say there's not a competitor. Um, and the moat is the product is so far ahead of the competition and they're not resting on their laurels. And I've said this on my YouTube channel of saying, I want to invest in companies that aren't satisfied with just getting there, but continue to innovate. What's next? What's next? And you've heard 
Alex and Peter both say that uh, in many interviews about what's next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I will defer this question here to Chris, who actually was, uh, <laughs> was yeah. I'll, uh, I'm a I'll shareholder say. too. Are you? Are you? So what are your thoughts? Um, of course, there isn't a direct connection to sure. Palantir, but do you see sort of similar thesis type deal? Like how can we kind of relate this to this discussion if you do want to talk yeah, about we can talk about it. ABCL. Uh, I'm building a position there. I like Abcelera. I just did a big long Twitter thread about a couple of weeks ago about them um, and how they're severely undervalued right now. Hmm. Um, they are a software company more than they are a uh, genetics or biotech company. Uh, it's their software that is able to provide distinguishing how to make uh, the right antibodies and multiple different kinds of antibodies that you could normally not mix together or identify in a quick, timely fashion. The whole idea around drug discovery is 90% of drug discovery fails. 90%. And out of that, even out of that 10%, it's still a very small amount that, that, that goes on past that, right? Uh, and so when you talk about 90% failure, and it takes about 10 to 12 years before you get to that point, and you can cut that in half or even further, that is quantifiable. I want as a CEO or me as a customer, I want a quantifiable result that gives me the reason to give you that money. And so they are doing that, a competitor in a different type of style. And I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if you see them partner because Bill and Melinda uh, Gates Foundation are invested both in Abcelera and in Schrodinger. Schrodinger does the same thing, but from a physics perspective. Um, and they work with a lot of the largest uh, pharmaceutical companies, like the, the largest top 30. Um, but I think there's something to be said around physics-based discovery. And what they're doing is with antibodies. And I really like what they're doing from that perspective. I think we'll see more drugs come from an antibody approach opposed to to what else is out there today and i think their flywheel approach and their revenue that's where it becomes similar to palantir that's where you can see peter Thiel's. you know he's on the board so i would have to think for him to spend his time on the board he's giving some advisement there yeah yeah i again i need to look more into this company it looks like the stock is down 70 something percent as Chris and I had talked about and they're profitable. Um, and it's really really yeah, I yeah profitable. I definitely need to do a bit of a dive but from what I've heard from you guys it's uh seems to be a, a golden opportunity here yeah I mean it's definitely something I'm not going to make my top five position I know Chris yeah. is is willing to do that I, I I like to have my my holdings earn that right right to get to that point um, whereas when I look at my top, you know, seven positions, it's uh, Trade Desk, Shopify, Nvidia, Digital Turbine, and Digital Turbine fought it's all the way to the top four because it kept growing and growing uh. and growing and growing, uh, and I did keep adding uh, Mercado Libre, C Limited, Palantir, Sema uh, Four. So um, I look for founder-led companies. I look for companies that have no debt, have cash and our technology companies that are going to innovate and change you know what i call world changers i don't want to innov i don't want to buy a stock 
and they're doing great at what they do now, but I can't imagine them doing something better, you know, 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any other uh, Twitter questions? Yeah, yeah we had uh, liked. Someone said, uh, someone asked, what if they miss earnings? And I said, said uh, it, it'll go down. It'll go down significantly. And I will load the boat. I will yeah. load the boat if, if yeah. they miss earnings. I, I will question why, because to your point, they sandbag for sure. Yeah. They've already secured a lot of big uh, contracts. They have a huge backlog. I just don't see them missing uh, this quarter. Yeah. Um, B2C, uh, question of do you ever see them doing B2C? I, I do. I just don't know what it's going to be and if it's a priority right now. Yeah. You know? I, I don't think it is right now, but yeah. it doesn't have the, fact, the fact that they brought out Foundry for Builders when they had said nothing about it, the fact that there are new products in the pipeline, whether those are divisions of what they're already working on, their core Foundry and Gotham, or if it is something else, it remains to be seen. Will we hear more about at least one of these on the earnings call? I think there is a possibility about that, but it's great. What I love about Palantir, their culture, as you were saying, their employees, of course, this is an engineering, I mean, all it's mainly engineers, right? Yeah. Um, and what they say is they're here to build. That's what they talk about on their website. That's, I think, I forget if that's the career page or whatever. They say there is so much left to build. And I, I love that sentiment because it means we're not confined to just one product or a suite of products. It, it's really, we're working on something right now. It will be totally different in the future. We're just building. Um, and yeah, I think it's driven by what Carp kind of designates as important with his background and since he's been with this company for so long i think he knows it better than better than anyone so i just yeah, wanted to I'm share not, I'm not that deny that it's it's not frustrating at times when you you see you have such a big position in a stock and you don't see it you know take off like your other ones yeah but you have to calm yourself down and remember why you're in the stock and what excites you about it and there's one thing we can definitely say is there's always new news with palantir uh, always coming out and they're always very transparent on what they can be transparent about but i go back to the pro product piece the product piece is what does it for me because tell me another product that can take structured and unstructured data and bring it all together and allow you to build on top of it or allow it to be the base operating system and even if you have no coding experience you can have no code low code and i can start getting better business decisions right away the, the, to me it's a no-brainer that's yeah. why they're that's why their average sales price is millions of dollars not thousands of dollars yeah yeah and we will see that come down eventually right with with the scale of the lower end businesses that's just that's just part of how it's going to work it's yeah. how some of the most successful companies have done it right you have to start at the high end um, otherwise you'll just get crushed but you did mention news, and you had said this before to me. Anything you've been seeing recently that you want to just mention here? I know we do want to kind of cover some more of the questions, but what were you thinking about? You were, you were saying news, like what comes to yeah. mind? Yeah, so you reminded me on uh, your meeting with Jake. I was watching it the other night, and the shelf offering is something I forgot about. And... I like that they're so forward thinking that 
they don't have to execute on that shelf right away. The whole point of it, it was cheap money that they can then secure when they need it, if they need it. And so the same thing with the gold. If the dollar crumbles, that gold's actually going to be worth something to, to use as collateral. Um, I think it was more marketing than anything, but it is probably still something safe to have. Um, and then I, I really like that you have the, the NATO and the army contract. <clears throat> Remember, they sued the army. OK, they sued the army. They won. Um you know, there were some people rather than bad blood about that. But the reality is the product is great. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's protecting our Western hemisphere. And uh, they're expanding and they keep buying more and more branches are using this product. So that gives me a lot of confidence because there's a lot of unspent money that's going to unlock in the next couple of years. Uh, we saw the Jedi contract collapse. Um, so I think there's a lot more there in the government seg segment that people just kind of brush off. It's it's kind of not, I don't know, boring because you don't really get to know all the stuff of what's actually going on and what it's being used for. But um, that was very intriguing. And then the other piece was it was kind of quiet news, their integration with that health system uh, and really trying to bring everything together for a holistic approach with the insurance companies and the hospitals uh, and standardizing health practices, they want to take on the biggest problems in our world and take them head on. And you have to applaud that and have to get excited as a shareholder. Like they're not afraid, right? And they're not here for you. They're here for the mission. So they know they need to make money. They know they need to provide shares, but they're so confident in their technology. We'll get there. We'll go. The carp says on the interview, just this past uh, week, two weeks, I don't see why we can't be 20 times bigger. I, I don't, right? And to me, if you understand an operating system and you understand software, they're not solving a point solution or a piece of a business. They're replacing how you do business in a paradigm shift and they're making it easier. So what I'm selling you is time to value time to value for accounts payable to do their processes better, time to value for us to get new product launches and go to market faster, time to value to understand which customers we should be marketing to and who is going to be more likely to buy our product. They Having all the data talk to each other is like a big life, a body nervous system and everything's communicating to the brain, which is foundry, and it's communicating on what we need to do and it's sending those impulses really fast. And so if you understand that and understand there's nothing like it out there, then you start getting having fun thinking about the imagination of all the different places this could be used in our world. And that's where you get to that trillion dollar market cap. Yeah, yeah. I think trillion dollars, of course, it's a great number to throw out yeah. there. We have hey, some if trillion. get to half of that, I'll be happy. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Um, just on the Alex Karp thing, um, it's it's really funny because we've heard I made a kind of like a parody video on him like complaining about his lawyers that was like two minutes long because um, we have heard him saying my lawyers will not let me disclose certain stuff but we have the first thing that comes out of his mouth to be I don't see why this company cannot 
I think it was in reference to, I forget what exactly, EBITDA or something, 20 times larger. Now, <laughs> I think his lawyers would catch on if they see yeah. he's about to publish a video with that in the, in the literal beginning. So what does that mean? He said, I think, of course, I mean, he's yeah. not guaranteeing this, right? Sure, of course. But that probably conveys like the biggest level of confidence I can think of because not only did it get past that checkpoint, but he's, he's putting his name behind it. So I think that's huge. Um, but I think two more questions I wanted, I think are good on the Twitter side and then any, yeah. any YouTube ones to close it out. Um, as far as I understand it, shares outstanding are just fairly, it's fairly like an arbitrary number, right? I think what matters is the market cap and then the share price. Like I think people see the number of shares outstanding for Palantir as over a billion, right? And they're like, oh, why is that so many? Well, as far as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's just arbitrary, right? So some people well, get confused tougher, by that. It, it's it's going to be it's going to be more liquid, um, so it, it'll be tough for like huge jumps to, to happen immediately. Whereas if there was fewer shares and they had good news, I would think that it would be easier to impact and see a huge spike, right? Um, good point. We've been traveling at a base in. $22 land, $27 land, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, so I think that the amount of shares do impact from that perspective, but it's market cap that is more important. And then, and then what are the valuations to that market cap? Um, yeah. But that's where people think about what the valuation is now, not what is it going to be 10, 20 years from now? And how do they get there, right? So, um, you just, this is not a stock to hold for instant gratification for even a year, two years, maybe even three years. Um, but if yeah. you're willing to hold, be patient. Not have this as your only stock. Um, I'm, you know, diversified. This will probably have a fifteen, maybe twenty percent holding when I'm all done, said and done. Um, but overall, you know, it's it's the long hold. Yes, yes. Um, and then just moving along here, Bitcoin, there were a couple mentions of this. I think it's a great point. Um, talked about a lot, at least from my end. Um, do you think we'll see an announcement, an imminent announcement into kind of expanding their alternative investments here? Do you expect this? Um, I think <laughs> this previous drop in Bitcoin down to what was 29, it, well, yeah, twenty nine, nine thousand. I couldn't believe I didn't. I, I was a <laughs> and Ethereum too. It, it, yeah. At the peak, yeah. it was like four. It dropped below two. Now yeah. it's. I don't check very frequently, but yeah. back up to four. But anyways, um, it was. I think Bitcoin was around forty thousand fairly recently. Now yeah. it's back to all, all time highs, yeah. um, or it was. Um, that would have been the time, right? <laughs> so oh, yeah. let's see. Let's see. Um, again, I don't think it's terribly important. It's more of like a small detail, just how the company is choosing to capture and hold its money, right? So what do you think? Important. If they felt it was important to do, they would have done it. Yeah. When you look at if there's one company that could predict or have a good pulse on where the dollar's going and everything else, mm. I would have to think Palantir has a pretty good pulse on all of that. Um so, I mean, we could see some investment. We could say they start taking it for payment or, or actually see some payments in Bitcoin. 
it's neither here nor there. I, I, I'm, I'm more excited about this earnings around, tell me some new commercial customers. Tell me that we're still growing above 50% in commercial. Yeah. Uh, I want to see that our cash flow is continuing to continue to grow, uh, you know, maybe not double, right? That's unrealistic. Keep saying double over quarter per quarter, but that it is growing free cash flow. Um, and tell me more about Metropol or um, Meta Constellations and Black Sky and how some of these other SPACs are, are doing, um, because that's going to be really interesting to see if they, I mean, if some of these could take off, I could just see them taking that kind of soft bank approach of, if you are a potential that we feel we could make your company better and we can get you to market faster, you give us an X amount of percentage of shares and use our software as a customer, it's a winning formula. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I would like to do some live Q&A here. We have plenty of of uh, comments so far. Thank you to all of those that have been commenting along the way. Um, so let's see... Thank you, Bobby. <laughs> um, so, two products, right? We heard, we heard that. We kind of talked about it a little. Are you expecting anything in the near term on an announcement, or was that Carp just saying we're building, we're just working on so much stuff that you will not even know about? What do you think? I think they they they, they give a little more insight on Meta Constellation and maybe how that possibly could branch into that maybe being one of the products but one product i think we get more insight in out of the earnings um unless he truly did slip up at, at the deutsche conference and um and just leaked out it was actually three products i believe yeah he said they had three um but if they're smart they're going to like hold the bait and just keep going and going they know what the everything's going to be but why would you not want investors to keep being more curious and give a little weight, give a little, and that's going to help the stock price as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like, oh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I feel like we are and have been in recent times a little bit of a drier news spell. I think there, there certainly has been news, but in terms of like a big announcement, I feel like we might be due for one of those yeah. earnings. And of course, that's not something you should ever um, yeah. make don't investment decisions. Yeah, don't use that as your investment. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just think, I think we are, whether it's another double-click event, which I thought there was going to be another one before the end of the year, maybe it's early next year, but I think something something should be coming if they're, if they're planning it right, as you were saying. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just what I'm thinking. Um, and I have, I do agree with you here, Chris. Um, Lots of Tesla investors have obviously been aware of Palantir, have either initiated positions or or at least interested in the company, um, which is great to see. All right, let's just see what else. Scrolling through all of these previous comments here. Um, we'll see what other... Okay, so yeah, here's Chris again. We're talking about when we were, when we were talking about breakout yeah. or not, he was saying flat for a few years but how do you there are, i think there are a lot of investors that are not expecting like the stock to double overnight but are expecting a return yeah, and not sure, sure. not a flat stock or a stock that's decreasing yeah. in the sense of inflation right you want to you want to at least yeah. beat the market 
But, it's uh, not fun holding a stock when it trades sideways. It's not. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's even worse when it declines. Um, yes. But I think you have to know thyself. You have to know why am I holding this company? What are my expectations? What is my goal? If my goal is to make a lot of money in five years, it's probably not going to be with Palantir. Mm. I'm going to go with something else that's already hit its peak that everyone loves and understands and uh, you know will only get a certain amount, right? It only gets a certain amount and then that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, that's why there's not a lot of trillion dollar companies because there's not a lot of companies that can continue to innovate and build new legs and new legs and new use cases. And when you find those, you still have to endure big dips and long wait out periods. You look at, you know, Amazon dropped 90% at one point, right? Yes. Uh, Apple has had severe drops. So if you're looking for a quick fix or even just to see it grow, I know we'd all like to see it grow, but what I consider growing in my mind is good news, right? New contract, mm -hmm. more customer growth, uh, expansion on current customer. That's, that's kind of what I'm, that is to me like going up 10, 20, 30%, because I know once it's in there, you're not gonna, those SPACs are not going to rip out Palantir after they yeah. build that off of their core part of their business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're rooting on all those SPACs and I've been trying to dig up on them, look at their, their investor presentations, because, um, that could be a whole nother avenue that everyone's just kind of discounting. You know, that's not in the analyst price targets for sure. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, here, Mark was saying that really, and this is this is a sentiment that I've kind of stumbled upon, is that Foundry for Builders really is just not, <laughs> no one's really talking about it. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's, it's the next generation of Foundry. Um, I would like for them to change the name because yeah. I'm not terribly fond of that. I think a um, lot of people feel the same way. Yeah, it's just funny. It's yeah, I was talking about that with um, with Jake. We were like, w "What does that even mean when you yeah. first see it, right?" But um, yeah, I think it really is a next generation program. I think as we see it scale, it's not necessarily a financial driver with these alumni companies if they're running it at cost or what. But I think once it's able to be open right to any company that mm -hmm. wants to use it i think that's that's a huge turning point um, let, so let's let me keep see. in mind their sales force is is growing and it and it started from just being alex yes like you look at all the use cases they're building and they're getting into the robotics they're getting into the evs the the quantum compute the, the digital advertising companies uh, all of this and they're building out use cases. They're building out, okay, this is how we sell to advertising agents. This is how we sell to energy companies. And so as they selectively build the sales team out and they partner with Accenture, Deloitte, Amazon, uh, uh, not Deloitte, I'm sorry, Accenture, uh, Amazon, and um, IBM, that should scale that should scale in projects and that should scale in use case as time goes on. Cause that's not been around for a long time. Yeah. Let's see. I'm just seeing what other comments we have. And I think I've only got a few minutes left here. No, you're fine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this was, as you can see, I'm very passionate about it. Yes. No, I loved your perspective. Everything was great. I think you laid out an excellent 
uh, bull case here, and I think, yeah, I think it's and it's no, great and content. No investment is guaranteed, right? Yeah, of course. I'm willing to. If mine lose, that's fine because I'm diversified, and I'd, I'd encourage any investor to do your homework, do your due diligence. You can't borrow conviction. You can't buy conviction. Uh, you know, oh, you earn it by learning it and then saying, oh, that makes sense to me. I can see that. Well, what about this? You know, you're going to come up with the other imaginative cases for this company. So if you have a diversified portfolio, it's less risk. And then you figure out what 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 are you passionate about that you're going to keep up with? Like I keep I try to keep up with all your videos on Balance <laughs> And I'm just like, there's so much coming out me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, I almost have to focus just on this, but I do have other investments. Um, but it is very, very um, just game changing in what they're doing. Yes, yes. Uh, Jake, just kind of touching on that. Um, and this was something he was bringing up. The marginal cost, they've talked about this before, I think. Approaching zero, right? This is a software. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think there might actually be variable costs. I'm not sure. Um, but... With something like Foundry for Builders, when you don't actually have to send out a forward deployed engineer, which yep. I heard you guys believe, talking about that. Yep. Yeah, I believe we we checked that. Um, it yeah, it really is going to be the more scale, the more profit. So uh, we just have to kind of see that come to fruition. Um, Felix commenting, Felix, it was great having you um, for that uh, conversation. What am, what are we most concerned about? I'd say growth, honestly. Not that I'm concerned about it, but I would be yeah. concerned, right? Because that's that's why we're invested. That's what we want to see. What would you say, Dom? Yeah, I mean, I, no one wants to see it trade sideways any longer, right? Like we want to yeah. see it break to thirty. We want to see it break to forty. We feel good. Stop. Uh, that little dopamine hit. But uh, I want to hear more use cases and commercial growth. And if they decline significantly in commercial, that would be a concern for me. Yes. Um, it would also be a concern for me if they just did an irrational amount of new SBC on top of what is already scheduled. Yeah. Um, because that could be a backlash from shareholders selling out then at that point. Um, and then, of course, just the leadership team staying there and staying on mission. And as long as they're there, I, I think they have a plan and they see how it's going to play out. Uh, we just have to be patient and wait to see it play out. Yes, yes. Um, yep, and, that's exactly right, D for Dark. That's what traded for five years straight sideways, and I almost got in on a ma- major position at that point, and I held. Oh, up. it was it was yeah. terrible though. The news was just. Oh yeah. Like, they, I remember the day they said it could go to seventeen dollars a share, and they said they he couldn't get cash, and then the next day he raised five billion dollars. Um, and so that's yeah. a, don't listen to the media, guys. Do your own homework. Do your own due diligence. Watch CEO interviews. You know, learn on the websites, uh, CNBC and all that other place is just they're trying to get people to react to whatever news is out there negative, typically. Um, so we encourage you to do your own homework because that's the only way you're going to learn about this stuff. Yes, yes. And Ryan here with an interesting idea about cybersecurity prote- protections as a potential subscription. And again, it's hard to know how far ahead they're thinking with this sort of stuff, but yeah. it's really all about the engineering talent, retaining top talent, building and kind of working towards their mission, of course, and uh, what sort of excess resources do they have beyond that remains to be seen. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. The thing is, we don't have CARP on the calls, 
which that would be helpful to kind of get a, a higher level understanding of of what direction for the company because yeah. financially speaking we hear from the executives right mm-hmm. which is which is great because we we understand the kind of the minutia there but not the higher level as much which of course that's probably not something they want to talk about yeah they don't want him on a mic <laughs> they don't know where to come out i just don't think they want him on a mic <laughs> on a live call yeah, yeah. No, i don't he i think he, he i don't know maybe in the beginning he was on him but i they just don't trust it and i get it um he, he he knows that um i do agree with that question though of our suggestion of cybersecurity. i think it comes down to what all can they take on with only having 2700 employees and what takes precedence in the vision and how they're mapping it out uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, I, I do think that they will get into that space and and obviously you know they do a lot of things for the government we don't know about um yeah. and they have a lot of least privileged least privilege and zero trust in their security model if you look at their blog and how it all works okay um but i think that we don't get to see like you said what project is most important right like they have a plan and how they're doing and and then they're gonna and if the world has a natural disaster that alters the plan too right like they're first responders so yeah i would just say be patient um i am excited about earnings i'm really looking forward i'll read the transcript, listen to the call and see if I can, you know, dig into anything else that's underlying. But, um, this is definitely not a stock to just say, I'm going to, I'm going to make a lot of money this year. You know, like it, please don't think that because the hype in the media, um, you know, presented in a certain way like that. And this is a long-term patient hold. Like you look at what Microsoft had happened before Nadella got there. Uh, and their transition to Azure and everything. And it, it was sideways and declining for a long time, mm-hmm. right? So you just got to find good companies that meet your criteria, the founder led, the technology, the product has to stand on its own. If the product sucked or yeah. the product degraded, that would be a bear case for me. But the product is so scalable and it drives so much cost savings that that's what people want when they buy software. And so that's why I'm so bullish on this. Um, you find a couple companies like this, even if only one or two hit, could be life changing if you hold long enough. Yes, yes. Well, I want to thank you for this, Tom. Yeah, right. man, 70, 70 plus minutes. I loved hearing your thoughts. Um, I think this was great. Your thesis, I, I certainly agree with a lot of it, and we'll we'll just have to see how it plays out, right? Yeah, yeah um, we'll, but I'm sure we'll have a lot to report on after earnings. Yes, yes. I'm very eager to see that. See kind of what they say. If we can slip in any actual good questions this time instead of dividends and uh, stuff like that, which just seems to be top of mind for some reason. I think we kind of need to get to sustained profitability before. Yeah, and I work uh, constantly reinvesting in the business. I do not need to pay any dividends. Yes. Um, Well, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on, um, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, yeah. Plug, um, plug your Twitter. Other things you're working oh, yeah. on. You guys can follow me, uh, Dominic Rinaldi nine on Twitter. Um, part of the Pounding the Table Network podcast, and have my own podcast, Dominating Your Investments. It's more geared towards stock deep dives. Palantir is one of them. Yes. Um, I'm actually launching a digital turbine deep dive tonight. Oh. Um, but more about also the process of identifying these great companies and uh, holding on and investing, and how do you identify them. So a lot around that too as well.
So once again, thanks for listening in to Dominating Your Investments. And remember, it's never too late to start. So I hope this helps you get some encouragement on how to look at a company from a qualitative and quantitative perspective. Um, And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on Twitter, uh, at DominicRinaldi9, and give me a follow. And look forward to uh, providing more content like this uh, on my podcast. Now for the disclaimer. Dominating Your Investments is a podcast that is part of the Pounding the Table Network and is for entertainment and educational purposes only. This should not be taken as financial advice and is just that of my opinion on investing. If you found that informational helpful and entertaining in today's interview, you can also give me a follow at DominicRinaldi9. Thank you again for listening, and remember, it's never too late to start dominating your investments.